Go on and be flipping to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we are going to be in the Beatitudes. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 12 this morning. Don't know how much of it we're going to cover, but that's where we're going to be at. So start, if you don't have a Bible, a smartphone, or anything of that nature, it will be on the monitors behind me. If you need a Bible, let us know. We will make sure to get you one. It's always important to have the Word of God with you. Starting in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor and pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are, those, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, and Lord Jesus, as we open up your word, Father, I ask that you would hide this pastor behind the cross, and may your Holy Spirit just go forth, and Father, I pray that souls would just be convicted and pierced and penetrated, and Father, if there be someone lost, may they cry out to you in repentance and call upon the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Father in heaven... We do pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So Christ, he used the term blessed nine times here. In the Beatitudes, what does he mean by? What does Christ mean by this blessed? See, Christ is not speaking of a carnal joy arising from our circumstances, but a spiritual joy arising from our relationship with God. David, he also gives us a description of the blessedness of man, as we will see in Psalms chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, you'll notice three things there. See, God forgives uh, his transgressions. As we're going to look at these three uh, descriptions of the blessed man. And secondly, God covers his sin, is what David was saying. And then God does not impute sin to him. In other words... God does not take his sin into account. Instead, he credits Christ's righteousness to him. See, once we become in Christ, it's no longer our sin. We are imputed God's, Christ's righteousness. No longer does God see us 
in our jacked up ways, he sees his son, Jesus. So blessedness is rooted in our position with Christ. So it's all about the positioning. Outside of Christ, you're out of position. In Christ, you're in position. You are truly in a position to where your eternity is good. Only if you're in Christ. See, he takes hold of us by the Holy Spirit. And we take hold of him by faith. It's nothing we can do. It's, it's, it's all by faith. And see, friends, I, I want you to understand something that with Christ, it always leads to union or communion with God. When we are in unity with Christ Jesus, it always leads to communion with God. Now, the world will say everything opposite about the Beatitudes. Everyone wants the good life. So they want this great lifestyle. They want uh, certain things and stuff and stuff that makes them feel good on the outside. And the world says, take what you want, pursue happiness and, and fulfillment at all cost. But Jesus flips this and he inverts the world's order and ethics. What he does is he turns culture upside down. And it, it's beauty as we're going to unpack this. But, but look with me at uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 where it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love the things of the world, these worldly fulfillments. And this poor in spirit, as we're going to look at, I don't want you to think it's strictly talking about financial poverty or something like that. That's nothing what this is talking about. And friends, I want to let you know there has been physical times where we, me and Alicia, have been really just bankrupt, where friends have had to help us, and, and then people on the outside, they're looking at this, and they wouldn't even know what, we was going, what was going on with us. They would say, man, they are blessed. But see, we was because we was in standing with Christ. It didn't matter about the monetary things. It didn't matter about none of that. It mattered about how we was. So the Beatitudes, the good life, the blessed life, found in the counterculture of the kingdom of God. And it's in the now, and it's also in eternity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 real quick. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So who are they? Well, some clues from Scripture is over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 57 and verse 15, where it reads this. It says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the, in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite 
and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Lowly and contrite. This is humble and sorrowful, repentant of their sins. This is the poor in spirit, the broken ones. Mark chapter 10 and verse 15 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Like a child. So why say like a child? Because children are completely dependent and completely trusting upon their parents. Think about that. Your child... When they was young, they knew they could trust, solely dependent upon mom and dad. They knew mommy and daddy was going to take care of them. This is how Jesus wants us to come to him, like a little child, innocent in spirit, coming to him knowing that he is going to take care of us. Everything we need, he will take care of you. He truly will. And Luke chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32 says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, when we're sick in the physical realm, the first thing we do when we get a cold or like how COVID's going around and all that, what do you do? You run to the doctor. We say, doctor, doctor, help me, help me. I need this help. This is how Jesus, see, we need to depend upon Jesus for the true cure of our sins. No one else. Jesus and Jesus alone. Because he is the physician. He even said it there in Luke. He came to call the to, to not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for us. Came for poverty and spiritual or physical as a state of dependence in which we need help to manage. See, the poor in spirit are those who know they are needy and seek help. To be poor in spirit means you're utterly broken. You have nothing. Your spirit is totally dependent upon God. You realize this. So the poor in spirit are willing to receive. And it's, it's incredibly humbling. And it's even humiliating at times to be that poor. But they are blessed. You say, how? Because Humble people are so desperate that they're willing to receive help. They have nothing else to lean on. So they call upon Jesus. See, when you meet people who's really not spiritually poverty and just broken, poor in spirit, they think they have it all together. They, they think they're good. It's simple. The rich, they look at us Christians as we're just arrogant. Oh, they're spiritually arrogant. They think they can do it themselves, and, and they refuse God's help. They refuse his help. They think they have it all. But yet the poor in spirit, they know they can't. 
and they receive God's help. See, the, the, the rich, they'll, they'll walk around and they'll say, well, I've got this and i got that. I don't need your Jesus. I'm good. But yet their soul is in desperate danger. It's, in, it, it's utterly desperate because yet they're going to split the gates of hell wide open outside of Christ. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. And I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to hunker down on one piece of it. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but yet he gives grace to the humble. So when people say that Christianity is this crutch, do you know what to say to them? You look at them and you say, yes. Yes, it is. And if you think you can do life without him, then more power to you. But I need Jesus in everything, in all walks of life. I need Jesus, and I'm going to receive every blessing that he has for me. So you can look at him with confidence and say, yes, he is my crutch. He is the one who holds me up. He is the one who helps me to walk. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who laid down his life for me. And I'm sorry that you can't stand on that crutch with me. And I'm praying for your soul. Because... They're not blessed. The world's telling them they are, but they're not. The second part of that is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit? What does it mean? Well, hey, salvation. See, on one level, it means receiving eternal life, which is salvation, Becoming a follower of Jesus is a very humbling process because you have to put down all your pride and all your ego and get on your knees and repent and say, Jesus, I can't do this no more. I need all of you. I don't want to just play this. I need you. And admitting that we are guilty of sin and we're, we're, we're on our way to hell this admitting we cannot save ourselves and we need God to do this for us. I don't know about you, but the man inside of me, it is really hard to know that you have to bust down that pride and let it all go and say, Jesus, no longer can I do this on my own. I'm going to need you to do this for me. And you're putting all your faith in the Messiah. You're dying to yourself. You are saying, no more of what I want. It's all about what you want. Give me the principles to walk through this life in a Christian manner. It's turning from your ways of it's all about me and my way into submitting and full dependence upon God. You're, you're, you're saying, God, I'm no longer having my prideful arrogance. I'm, I'm walking with you now. 
This is to be poor in spirit. Life and freedom. It's not just salvation, the kingdom of heaven, but it's the rule of God. It's the presence of God Almighty that you're always walking with. John chapter 17 and verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Right there. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. Not Buddha, not someone else, not some mythology, not some tree, but you, Jesus Christ. God, you are the one true God. I can't put my hope and my faith in nothing else. I can't seek this uh, earthly meditation and getting into the new age things. No, you are trusting in the one and only true God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Him and him alone. That abolishes all these other false religions and all that. Since there's only one true God. Then there's biblical knowledge and it's experiential, personal, and intimate. He don't care how much you have it here. You can have everything here and you miss it all here. You can walk around and all of a sudden be walking like a Pharisee or a Sadducee and be holier than thou because you have the head knowledge here, but yet you're missing that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus where he has truly come in and transformed your heart, your life, and your whole walk. We must... We must. Now, I'm not saying don't get biblical knowledge because we need that because that's our blueprint. But don't become so puffed up with it. Well, I know more than you. No. That's not being poor in spirit. It's being prideful and arrogance. So how can I be blessed? Don't you long to see God's kingdom manifest among us? I know I do. I long for it. So we was praying this morning. Lord Jesus, send them in. Send them. Send them. I I long to see the day as people's being drawn to Jesus, lives being radically transformed. When you get the addicts coming in, handing over pills, and you get the alcoholics saying, I'm putting down my bottle because I want this Jesus. I long for that day that sinners... In general, you don't have to be the addict or the alcoholic, just the sinner in general that you go from death to life. I long for that. I long for it. As I stood back here earlier when we was praying and I was standing as if the baptism was in front of me, just having visions of it from being able to baptize people. And when you see them come up out of the water as the water rolls back off of their head and they just breathe out and they go, and you just know that they're they're so excited because they're showing you that this is their public profession of faith and they're walking with Jesus. It's not the water that saves. It's what took place prior to that. But that's their public expression. And I said, Lord Jesus, please just stir the waters, God. 
Stir them. Stir them. Stir them. But yet we, at times, because the believer, we become complacent. See, many Christians and churches are like the church of Laodicea. And nobody wants to hear that. So, well, pastor, what's wrong with that church? Well, Revelations chapter 3 and verse 17 says, For I say, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And yet, we think we're okay. We think we're good. We think we have it, but yet Jesus is gagging here because it's a lukewarm church. I don't know if many of you coffee drinkers in here, but the way Jesus tastes you is this way. If you have a hot cup of coffee, you've drank it and you've left it sitting You walk away, an hour and a half later, you come back and you grab it, and it's just got that brisk, nasty taste, and you, "Ah." that's what Jesus does when he sees a lukewarm church. Friends, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a part of that. There's three things that will keep us from the kingdom even if we think we're in it. Ignorance, which is like the leper. See, the leper, we become so used to the way our skin feels and so deadened to it, to the pain of life that we just don't know that we're in a desperate state. Then you have arrogance. And we really are arrogant enough to think that we're doing okay, that we're good enough. See, your arrogance keeps you from receiving God's gift. And there's times that you have to look at yourself real, real deep and say, Lord, is there something arrogant in me? Is there pride in me? Is there something that I need to be ridden of? Because, Lord, I want to be truly poor in spirit. I want to be broken. I want to be close to you, Lord Jesus. And then there's apathy. We know we're probably not okay. This is when we know that we're probably not okay, but yet we just don't care. We're so comfortable, and we don't want God messing up the neat covers that cover up our messy sheets below. We don't want God to mess this outer appearance up, but yet we know on the inside we're broken, but we're so callous to it, we say we're okay. No. No. That is not what God wants for us. So what is the true need for us? It is a need for repentance. See, if you're not desperately aware of our need for God this morning, if you're not aware of this, then you need to do a careful search of your heart. 
See, God took me to a woodshed this week, and he showed me some things. And friends, why I'm saying this is we all have a piece of pride in us that we don't really realize, and there's things that we need to look at to truly be broken in spirit and say, God, I need you to show all this. I need you to expose it so I can deal with it, so I can be that much more intimate with you. That way we can walk together and talk together, and there's nothing hindering. So what do we must, must, must we do? from that repent repent you might have to make some phone calls this week you might have to pick up the phone and I can promise you when there's a still small voice in your head and then you got this loud voice you got the still small voice saying just call just call reach out do it but yet you got this roaring voice in your mind saying don't do it don't do it don't do it push push back say no I serve the king of kings and lord of lords and I'm going to call. And I'm going to make things right. I'm going to clean up my side of the street. This is part of being poor in spirit. Where your, your spirit is just broken. You're, you're desperate. You need to be spiritually bankrupt so you can be spiritually inclined with him. This is where he wants us. See, the poor and humble cry out to God. We say, help me, Lord. Help me. Help me, because I cannot help myself. Help me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It only mentions that one other time in the Beatitudes. He's setting up something here. He's setting it up. And again, if you feel like this is unobtainable, if you're in Christ and you are spiritually poor in spirit, it is obtainable because he will walk with you through it. He will walk with you through it. But if you're outside of Christ Jesus this morning, not only is this unobtainable for you, but it's even worse you're going to split the gates of hell wide open when you draw your last breath. If you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, your eternity is secure right now. But that eternity can be flipped on the drop of a dime. As soon as you repent and call out upon the name of Jesus, it, it goes from death to life and no longer will you have this eternal judgment. You will draw your last breath and step into glory and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I love you, son. I love you. I love you. Some of us don't know how to take them words because we've grown up in a life where we don't know what it feels like to be loved. Let your heavenly Father, love you. Don't worry about the earthly things, what has happened. He is a big God. And he wants to truly love you. And if you don't know him this morning, please do not walk out of this room not knowing that your salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, some is saying, what must I do to be saved? Repent, repent, 
and believe. Father, some of us is saying, I've got this life. Lord, break us. Break us to the point we just cry out to you and say, Abba, Abba, help me. Help me. Because it's only through the goodness of you, God. It is only through you. You bring us eternal joys. Joys that the world don't understand. Father, if there's a person that has hurt us mentally, physically, may we give it to you and lay it down to you. Father in heaven, show us ourselves. And I pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.